Knock, knock. Who's there? It's John and Dave. Knock, knock. Who's there? It's John Answer and the Dave. door. Knock, knock. Who is there? It's John Why are they and ringing Dave the doorbell? We've John got a doorbell Dave. for a reason. <laughs> John, you have two choices. Okay. The first is you eat better every day, but it's really difficult. Go on. That's choice one. Two, the second is you eat better every day, but it's really easy. <laughs> Man, that's tough. This is already taking too long. That you is tough. Okay. Sorry. Well, okay. I, I, I prefer the second one where yep. you eat better every day yep. and it's yeah, really that's right. easy. That's the right answer. Uh, in fact, I'd like for it to take the form of delicious ready-to-eat meals. Can oh, I add that to the scenario? Mac, you are going to love Factor. Are you ready for factor. pre-prepared, yes. chef-crafted, yes. and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door? John, let's tell them quickly what's not going to happen. Where are they not delivering? They're not going to leave it on the corner. Nope. Nope. Unless you live right on the corner. Yeah, then they're going to live it. They're not going to find a street child. We have those everywhere in 12 South. And street just give child. it to the street child as they disappear into a back alley somewhere. No, it's not going to happen. And listen, yeah. you said dietitian approved. Yeah. Dave, you know this is about me. I only eat food that's, that's dietitian approved. That's why I said it, John. Not only that, but you'll also have over 35 meals to choose from. You come to me and, and you say every week, Dave, I'll take 12. Mm-hmm. <laughs> give me a break. <laughs> give me a break. And it, it is 35, John, meals to choose from. And that's per week, including options like keto, calorie smart, yes. vegan, and yes. veggie, and what we call that the VNV, mm-hmm. and more, plus over 55 weekly add-ons. You'll have a ton of nutritious and flavorful options. Dave, the only question that I'm left with is what am I waiting mm. for? Okay, I'll answer my own question. Okay. Nothing. Whoa. Right? Okay. I'm Just ready for factors two-minute meals. They're not three minutes. You don't have time for that. Two minutes. So I can fuel up fast with restaurant-quality meals, all delivered, again, Dave, straight to your door. Knock, knock, who's there? Factor has everything you need for a week of flavorful, nutritious eats. In addition to ready-to-eat meals, they have cold-pressed juices. Let me tell you what they're not going to do, John. Hot I'm going to be warm-pressed. Not even warm. Oh, no. There was a huge fad in the 70s. Didn't work. <laughs> Smoothies, energy bites, extra protein, <laughs> veggie sides, and more to eat. To eat, to keep you energized. Eat, and they're going to keep you energized, John. During <laughs> frantic times. I'm frantic right now because I'm so, so pumped up. I'm so pumped up. Dave, Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, upscale options. Ooh. You know I love upscale. upscale. You you're Uptown, upscale, girl. I was going to say. You're- yeah. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing six to 18 meals per week. Gracious. Right? I do 18 for sure. Yeah. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your delivery Anytime. Anytime. Head to factormeals.com slash dadville50 and use code dadville50 to get 50% off. No, that can't be right. No, it is. That's too good of a deal. Yeah. That's code dadville50 at factormeals.com slash dadville50 to get 50% off. That's half if my math is correct. (laughs) It is. Go get it, guys. Dadville. Hi, I'm Dave Barnes. And I'm John McLaughlin. And welcome to Dadville. Dadville is a podcast where we talk about life, love, and the pursuit of awesome dadding. It's funny thoughts and deep talks. So please, enjoy your time here in Dadville and enjoy this episode with... Scott Harrison. Johnny. Dave. You know you know a lot about me. I feel like... Too uh, much. Is that, okay, that's... Hurts a little. But you know that I've tried to use essential oils so many times. Countless times. I have no clue what I'm doing, John. 
I it's mean, hard to watch. It's well, it's hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness the fine folks at Simply Earth Essential Oils have made making your home toxin-free. Guess how easy? How easy? So easy. Oh my gosh, yeah. Dave, you can say that again, but okay. don't because I have something to say. Oh. I've tried mixing and using essential oils on my own, yep. and I'm clueless. Oh. Lately, I'm really loving the Simply Earth Essential Oils recipe box. It's, Listen, it's so easy to I, use. I, I, can I, I, I'm so excited I'm trying to talk here. The <laughs> diffuser blend recipe has been my favorite lately. It's a delightful I knew blend. that'd be your favorite. They're peace and quiet, peppermint, sage, and lavender oil. It sounds so peaceful as you're saying it. I know. Now, I, I would never put that combination together, yeah. but I love it. I'm a risk taker. For months before using Simply Earth, I spent way too much money, way too much money on yeah. expensive essential oils yeah. that just sat on my shelf. I know. I tried to steal them when you weren't <laughs> looking. The Simply Earth recipe box gives you the confidence and knowledge you need to use essential oils. So, Johnny, you don't have to feel that way anymore. No. Those days are behind me, Dave. They are. Each recipe box comes with four pure essential oils, okay. six recipe cards, oh, wow. and tons of extras. Man, Simply Earth is here to help you learn how to use your essential oils, all while creating amazing recipes that are crafted by certified guess what they're called i bet they're called aromatherapists oh, yeah, tell me they are that's a yeah you switch yes that, yeah. Oh, sorry yeah. simply earth's essential oils are made from the best ingredients from the best farms they are guaranteed 100 percent pure all 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 that means every bit of their essential oil recipes are tested and verified by simply earth's in-house certified guess what it is again i bet it's aromatherapist you're right that's two for two plural yeah it's an added bonus that Simply Earth dedicates 13% of their profits to help end human trafficking. Using essential oils to support your wellness doesn't have to be overwhelming, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm saying this as much me as, as you, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Have fun making your home toxin-free with Simply Earth's essential oil recipe box. Plus, get a free, that's free, free. How much 80, money? Yeah, free dollars. Free 80 milliliter diffuser when you subscribe using our URL simplyearth.com slash dadville visit simplyearth.com slash dadville today today welcome back to dadville everybody this is a uh, exciting for a lot of reasons because we got scott harrison with us but i'm i'm going to be selfishly excited immediately because i didn't know that he was a nashvillian which that's a big you know if we're gathering people that are great here, um, it's a big win for the city. Uh, okay. <laughs> which this is, that's, I just didn't know that. So when you told we us feel that, like the city's a win for us. So we're, we're recent, recent transplants. <laughs> well, th that's why it works, Scott. So w what was that? Was it just like a, let's get weird and have some fun in Nashville? Was it like a, uh, cause were you guys in New York? We were in Manhattan for 26 years. My wife oh, and I, oh, wow. uh, she Jeez. came when she was nine. I came when I was 18 and, you know, if you'd asked me before the pandemic, uh, I was going to live, die, you know, raise my kids in New York City, <laughs> right. fight it out, uh, you know, and, and the city just, I, I kind of felt like the frog that was just getting boiled uh, slowly <laughs> over time. I love how people who live in New York always equate it to a fight. You know what I mean? It, it, the, it's the like, no, I'm the going resistance down with strong. I'm like, you don't have to live in a place where you're fighting but, all the time. <laughs> let me just give you some economics. I'm not going to talk about how much we paid to rent a two-bedroom, 1,200-square-foot apartment with two kids. Yep. But I yep. will talk about my Kia Sorento. So I lease a car for $324 a month. It was $600 to park the car and then another oh 300 to insure it in oh Manhattan. Oh, my gosh. So 
So, you know, that then then just extrapolate everything else. So we were and now you're in a out. Range Rover and you're saving money. Well, I'm I'm not in a I still have my Kia Sorento and a and a and a and a, and a used Dodge Ram. See a yeah. chair a, a guy at a charity, we, we could never drive a, a Range Rover. Yeah, no, you know, no, I joke no. that I could I could drive like a seventy five thousand dollar loaded Toyota uh like Highlander, right? Yeah. But yes. not a twenty two thousand dollar BMW. Okay. Yes. Yeah, it's it so funny. Fifty thousand dollars delta in yeah. the price, but like, yeah. oh, he's driving a BMW, or he's driving like a twenty-three thousand dollars Mercedes. <laughs> right, you know, totally okay if it's like a hundred thousand dollars, you know, Nissan. It is funny. All the cars <laughs> need to have like price tags hovering above them as we yeah. drive. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm, um, I'm very careful of uh, of staying on brand. Yeah. <laughs> Quote. Unquote. <laughs> We oh, are a great so sorry. I was I lost the thread. So we moved out. Of, so we realized when the pandemic hit. I had, as I mentioned, I'd just gotten back from Seoul, uh, Korea, in at the end of January. I was on a book tour there. I think I got COVID two weeks later because I was the sickest I've been in like a decade. Uh-huh. Um, and and then kind of COVID shut everything down mid March. We left our office. Uh, we had about thirty thousand square feet in in Manhattan, hmm. and shut that down. And then. Uh, well, let's just say, you know, we didn't want to weather p- the pandemic uh, locked in a condo building in 1,200 square feet with a five and a seven-year-old or four and six at that time. So we wound up renting in rural Pennsylvania on a, on a farm, uh, and then we wound up buying the farm. Uh, and, and the crazy thing is buying this 1920s house, the mortgage was half of our rent. So oh we kind goodness. of immediately experienced the, uh, the economic... <laughs> win of of leaving yeah. New York City after 26 years. Yeah. And then I loved everything about that. I I'm a, I'm an Enneagram 8 with a 7. Uh, so I basically was a 7 for 18 months, bought ATVs, did a lot of hunting. Uh, you know, I bought my 6-year-old an ATV. You know, we were crushing farm life. We got 26 chickens, they were bears and bobcats 26. and Yeah, we just went for it. Yeah. And, uh, wow. I loved it. I love the nature. I loved, uh, remote work and spending more time with, with the kids. Um, the year before I was on 88 airplanes. So every wow. kind of three and a half days I'd be going back and forth to JFK. So I loved it. And then, yeah. you know, long story short, my wife hated it. And yeah. 18 months later, you know, either I'm living alone, uh, on a big farm with two kids or we're going to try something different. But yeah. we also just didn't didn't want to move back to New York City, and, and quite frankly, couldn't afford to move back to New York City. So mm-hmm. here we are in uh, in Nashville, tried it out for a year. That that is, uh, I, yeah, I can't imagine once you get out of that, if you're if you respond to it at all as a family, you know, you got to sort of see that door slowly shutting. You know what I mean? It's like you you're you're in Pennsylvania for a month, and already like everybody's like sleeping better. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're looking at your bank account and you're like, no, it's it's in the black. No, seriously. Well, my, we my car insurance went from 391. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, the proof is in the footage. Right. That's That's awesome. Well, we're well, Nashville, I'll just I'm gonna be this bold to speak for the city and say that we're thrilled, even if I can speak for the counties, because I guess technically you're not in Nashville, we're thrilled you're here. Um so, so thrilled. So we 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 kicked this off with kind of what we call the brag sheet. And man, this is like it's only about four paragraphs you got here, but they pack a serious punch. Um, you can so, skip all uh, that. 
Please no, 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 we that. can't. No, we can. No, sir, we cannot. So Scott spent almost 10 years as a nightclub promoter in New York City before leaving to volunteer on a hospital ship off the coast of Liberia. And already that reads like a Mad Lib. West Africa as a volunteer photojournalist, which keeps going with the photojournalist. Returning home to New York City two years later, he founded the nonprofit organization Charity Water in 2006, turning his full attention to the global water crisis in the world's 785 million people without clean water to drink. He created public installations and innovative online fundraising platforms to spread international awareness of the issue. This is crazy. In I got to rewrite years, this. This is terrible. Yeah. This is bad grammar. I'm actually trying. I'm typing an email. I'm typing Spanish. an email right now to figure out <laughs> how somebody um, can rewrite this. this I'm so sorry you have to we read got, this. This is the this is the PowerPoint. Oh these gosh. next two figure out. In 14 years, with the help of more than one million donors, that's insanity. Charity Water has raised over 557 million and funded 78,350 water projects in 29 countries. I mean, that's nuts. When completed, these projects will provide more than 13 million people with clean, safe drinking water. I just want you to hear me giving like heart applause right now. Mm -hmm. Scott has been recognized on Fortune Magazine's list of 40 under 40, Forbes Impact 30, and Fast Company's 100 Most Creative People in Business, where he earned the number 10 spot. Come on, girl. He's currently a world... Economic Forum, Young Global Leader, and author of the New York Times bestselling book, Thirst. And this is my favorite part. He and his wife, Victoria, have two children, Jackson and Emma. There you dun, go. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, my gosh. So, so I'm, when I'm you... gonna thank, thank you for that. I'm going to rewrite that. That needs to be like one sentence. <laughs> <laughs> so painful. When so, you rewrite so, it, so we'll here... just have you back, and you can just read it. Some, somebody else wrote episode. that, let me tell you. <laughs> so so we always ask this after reading these brag sheets. I mean, what do you think when you hear that? I mean, obviously we joke and you sort of think, rewrite it, but what is it like to hear that at where you are in your life, hearing those things? Uh, I haven't done enough. <laughs> I can't believe, honestly, how little money we've raised and how few people we've helped in 15 freaking years of, uh, of, of flying around the yeah. world. No, I mean... You're the only person that would hear that and have that reaction. No, I mean, that that's true. I mean, I think the the opportunity for... Uh, giving generosity specifically around this issue of clean water, the amount of people who need help, uh, which is mm -hmm. like 770 million, mm -hmm. and the 13 million that we put against that is, uh, is, a, is a very small bid so far. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's 156th of the global problem solved, wow. um, mm -hmm. which, is, which is not enough. So, um, yeah, I, I focus most of my time on the future and how we can grow and scale and do more and make a, a much bigger impact. I, I know, you know, we've raised, I think it's 600 million now. Uh, I know people who've started gaming companies uh, and sold them in half the time I've been working at Charity Water for twice the amount of money to, <laughs> to get people to, uh, to play video games on their phones. So yeah. I, yeah. I think a lot more is possible. Yeah, you're, you're sadly dealing with the with the uh, depravity of humanity in that sort of scaling model. <laughs> Though it's like, what's better, benevolence or you know? This is jumping way ahead because I have. I, I mean, I'm I'm almost panicking right now because I have so many things I want to ask you. But we almost ran out of time after that. And we're almost I mean, out I'm of like, time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean that gets to one of my questions, which is how. I would imagine you must have some thing that you do almost on a daily basis to keep yourself from just going off the rails of cynicism, right? I mean, you you have so many wins, and I know you've said in your in in your book and your talks that I've listened to that no one you 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 kind of talk about you know this need for clean water. 
everyone, religious, non-religious, left, right, whatever, everyone responds in the same way and says like, oh, I want to help. How can we help? You know, so you're having all these wins. And at the same time, you know, there's still, there's still this huge need in the world. How do you keep yourself from becoming cynical? I think I just made a decision really early on that, you know, the, the prize does not go to the cynic, <laughs> you know, yeah. nobody wants to be around <laughs> the, 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 you know, the cynic does not get the spoils. <laughs> That's so, so great. you know, I just think people don't want to be around uh, aid workers or people in the, you know, philanthropic or humanitarian mm-hmm. space who have big chips on their shoulders, mm-hmm. who walk around judging people for the size of their homes or the kinds of cars they drive or how they spend their money. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just think it, it does a disservice to the mission. So, you know, are there times when we uh, would wish someone might be more generous or uh, follow through on, on what they said they were going to do? Sure. I mean, but I think that's true with, with anything. That's true with family or, or community or, uh, or business. So yeah. I think it's really just been a, a conscious decision to stay optimistic Again, having this this clear goal of what we are trying to achieve has has helped. And that's really been unwavering for 15 years. We are trying to get every single person on Earth clean water. So mm-hmm. while there's a single human being alive on the planet who is drinking unsafe, dirty, contaminated water that could kill them or kill their children, uh, we know what we're doing. We know the movement we're trying to build. We We know what we're trying to raise money for. We know... Uh, the work that we're trying to implement and scale around the world. Mm -hmm. And I think you just have to keep telling the story in a hopefully a winsome, uh, invitational, aspirational way where people want to join you, not because they have to, not because you've shamed and guilted them into giving, but because you have painted a picture of a world they also want to see where where people have their most right. basic need for for life met. So so you know, it's almost let me just I, I use this analogy yeah. in the book, but you know, it's almost as if Nike were to walk around marketing that people were fat and lazy. And they would say, you know, you are really you've gained 20 pounds. Put away the Doritos. You know, stop eating that Ben and Jerry's and go for a run. Um you know, nobody would buy their stuff. <laughs> nobody right. wants to be talked yeah. down to. Right. And instead, you know, Nike just story tells around people overcoming adversity, overcoming challenges. You know, Nike's kind of built this brand where they believe infinite greatness is within you. You can do more than you could ever even imagine or would give yourself credit for. Uh, and then they, you know, I mean, Nike believes basically if, if you don't have legs, you can climb Mount Everest. You know, if you don't have an arm, you can win the shot put competition, right? And they just show people kind of finding depths of resilience and grit and courage. And then it makes people say, well, maybe I should go for a run. <laughs> you know, maybe I yeah, should turn right. off the TV. Yeah, so, right. you know, Charity Waters tried to build that kind of, of invitational, uh, you know, we believe there are generous, compassionate, empathetic people out there who are mm-hmm. willing to uh, open their eyes to the suffering of the world. And instead of embracing the apathy that would be so easy to, uh, to embrace, right, with a paralyzing global issue like the water crisis, people that say, I could do something. I could help one person. I could help 10 people. I could use my time or my talent or, 
or my money in the service of others. And then we try to highlight those, those stories. Yeah. One of the things that I think is really compelling about your story, um, obviously charity water is a huge part of it, but you know, I, I kind of feel like every hero has like the origin story, right? You watch any Marvel movie, there's like the, or, you know, Batman, his parents get killed. He, he, you know, uses his powers for good. And I think there is something it you're, you're growing up is so fascinating to me. And, and I can't help but wonder if that is some of, you know, some of the compulsion to help and the, in the, you know, you being so compelled to be so benevolent with your life and your time, but could you sort of talk, I mean, you know, your mother being such a big part of this and, and just the journey and the struggle that was, can you kind of talk through what it was like growing up and, and what happened and how that sort of shaped where you are now? Yeah, sure. So my mom uh, became disabled uh, kind of permanently uh, when I was four. There was a carbon monoxide, a freak carbon monoxide gas leak in our house that we just moved into. And she collapsed unconscious on New Year's Day in 1980 uh, on the bedroom floor. So she was the canary in the coal mine. Uh, wow. Her blood test led to the discovery of the carbon monoxide leak. And while my dad and I actually had some symptoms, we were starting to get sick. We weren't exposed to it in the same way because uh, she was in the house 24-7 fixing it up, mm. basically, mm -hmm. and unpacking boxes, and we were just sleeping there. So uh, she, her immune system just irreparably was compromised and just shut down, you know, kind of said, can't take anymore. So she lived in isolation, uh, almost as if in a, almost living in a bubble. Um, she would live in, in rooms that were covered in aluminum foil. She would wear masks. She would be connected to oxygen. Uh, she would sleep uh, on an army cot that had been washed 20 times in baking soda to remove any smells. Uh, or any Jeez. chemicals. So just a really weird childhood. Uh, I was an only child, uh, so I grew up really in that caregiver role in a deeply religious family who mm -hmm. took me to church every Sunday and Sunday school and church in the middle of the week. And um, I, at that time, you know, was a, was a good Christian kid who wanted to be a doctor when I grew up so that I could help sick people like my mom mm -hmm. and maybe even discover, you know, a cure for her someday. Um, so I think that was, that was the foundation, you know, my parents didn't sue the gas company for, for negligence because wow. they were good Christians and they didn't want to become bitter and it, it truly was an accident. Um, so I, I was brought up with this deep spirituality, this deep morality, uh, and you know, I didn't do anything. I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. I didn't sleep around. I didn't cuss. Um, so that was kind of act one. Uh, act two, I moved to New York City and I did all of those things, uh, you know, adding in lots of drugs and just uh, became a, you know, I really wanted to rebel in style. So I became a nightclub promoter. <laughs> rebel I, in style. You know, I was what like, if I'm going to break the rules, let's uh, let's at least do it uh, with, with, with some style. So, you know, I learned there was this crazy oh, job where, you know, if you could fill up nightclubs with rich, beautiful, famous people. You can make a, an extraordinary uh, amount of money uh, doing it, selling $1,000 bottles of champagne and, and $25 cocktails. So I worked at 40 different nightclubs Good over the next gracious. 10 years in, in New York and you know, picked up a, a two-pack-a-day Marlboro Red smoking habit and a cocaine and ecstasy, MDMA, gambling, pornography, you know, all of the drinking, all the vices that came and with you really the ran the gamut there. I ran the gamut. I stopped short of heroin as far as I know. 
Um, wow. But, you know, in some ways you never knew what you were getting. And uh, just really made a mess out of my life, um, mm. becoming you know, emotionally bankrupt, emotionally um, unstable, morally bankrupt, just just kind of spiritually bankrupt. I mean, I had this life that looked glamorous. I drove a BMW. I only dated models. You know, the time that I was 28, my girlfriend was on the cover of all these fashion magazines and was like the it model. And, you know, all of these markers of success that I'd been collecting, you know, I had a lot of them. And I was just deeply, so like I was just, I was decadent and depraved and so unhappy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And uh, I get this I led to Act Three. This, 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 yeah, there's a lot of alliteration going on. There. Well, uh, I was going to say, I think that was a Poison album. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> oh my gosh! You can probably find that on Spotify after this. <laughs> if, if, if you find that, you should use it as the soundtrack. Yeah, we'll play this. that in the background. <laughs> Decadent and depraved. Whatever. That's like the title track. It's got to be D and D. So you know, then this kind of leads to Act Three, where I realize this, and uh, I, I come back to faith. I come back to mm. to spirituality. Um, I I just I realize that I have become the worst person that I know, and <laughs> I, I I don't need a pivot. I'm not, I don't need a small course correction in my life. I need to find, basically need to do exactly the opposite of every single thing that I'm doing uh, and thinking and saying. So wow. in some ways, you know, it, it was pretty easy. Uh, yeah, so yeah. The, the opposite this is was not uh, quit drinking, quit smoking, quit sleeping around, quit drugging, quit gambling, quit pornography, uh, sell everything I own and go tithe one of the 10 years that I spent selfishly back wow. to service and what a fascinating though and go find a humanitarian organization that would take me <laughs> and allow me to <laughs> give a year of my time to see if I could be useful in any way Johnny Dave you know I feel like we're always I always is coming in hot but it's it's true we're always talking about how busy we are well we're talking about it because it's true Dave I mean, it's becoming harder and harder and harder, and dare I say, even harder to yep. make time for things. Yeah. Especially eating healthy. Now, you know, I try to make it a habit of not telling you what to do, but I'm going to break that habit right now, okay? Listen, Fine. you got to try Athletic Greens. With so much stress in life, Athletic Greens makes it so simple to maintain healthy nutritional habits and give our bodies the nutrients they need to survive. John, do it. Dave, you know I'm always trying to teach you new things. Listen up. AG1 by Athletic Greens is the category-leading superfood product bringing comprehensive and convenient daily nutrition to everybody. John, now it's my turn. I've got a fun fact for you. Keeping up with ever-changing nutritional research all while taking a bunch of pills and supplements makes being healthy and getting your necessary nutrients next to impossible. I agree. That's why I take one simple serving of Athletic Greens. That's it. Okay. Instead of swallowing pills and capsules. Yeah, hard pass. Yeah, I don't want to do that. They're hard to stomach, right? Yep. I mix Athletic Greens with a glass of water every day, and I'm set. You are. You've always been set, I think. AG1 contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients that include a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and way more in one convenient daily serving. John? That's amazing. Yeah. The AG1 by Athletic Greens not only gives you extra energy and focus, aids gut health, and supports your immune system, it also 
is super delicious. Don't do that. It this is what I love most about AG1 is that Athletic Greens continues to evolve and improve their formula based on latest research. So they're not just putting it out there, Johnny, going, no, no, this no. is what we got. They're going, they're ever changing, changing, ever learning, ever evolve. No matter what your diet or lifestyle, AG1 by Athletic Greens is the right fit for you. Trust me. Okay. It's compatible with keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, and gluten-free diets. And of course, there are no GMOs or nasty artificial chemicals. John, these guys aren't playing around. Also, right now, Athletic Greens is going to give you an immune-supporting free one-year supply of vitamin D and five, wow. Dave, five travel packs with your first purchase if you visit athleticgreens.com slash dadville today. Listen, guys, take control of your health and give AG1 a try. Just head to athleticgreens.com slash dadville today. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. I'm starting to giggle. I can't imagine the application for that. Oh yeah. So I was like, denied a lot. Like, yeah. So Scott, tell us more about what you've been doing. Well, you know, man, yeah, I uh, filled yes. up. I was in Paris from Fashion Week and uh, did this great party in Milan. So, <laughs> yeah, like, so we yeah. Really so seen so World Vision wasn't interesting, and Save the Children wasn't interested, and Samaritan's Purse wasn't interested, and the Red Cross wasn't interested, and Doctors Without Borders. I mean. I, I was just kind of Googling uh, at that point. Every single one. So it, it was really difficult to volunteer with, with my skill set. Uh, <laughs> and, and I was really fortunate because I had gone to New York University kind of part-time. I'd gotten a degree, just a, a bachelor's in communications that I'd never used. Um, I really just did it for my dad because he'd saved up and I never even saw the diploma. I just mailed it to him. And around this time, uh, there was this one organization that was looking for a photojournalist to join their humanitarian mission. It was a medical mission to Liberia, West Africa. And, uh, and then you also had to pay $500 a month for the pleasure. No, of volunteering. <laughs> so, and, and, and to be fair, everybody on this mission did, that was one of the ways they wow. raised money wow. was yeah. through their crew. So I applied and then I was initially denied again, but, uh, you know, interestingly, uh, I guess a couple months later, they were about to embark on the mission. They still didn't have the role filled, and they went through the rejected applications and then called me. And I had to go interview in person in Germany to convince them that I was not going to throw wild parties on this hospital ship, and you know, I was not going to uh, lead any of the nurses astray, and uh, <laughs> and uh, that you know that I had really reformed and changed my life, and and I wanted to serve God and I wanted to serve others, and I'd I'd quit all this stuff, and uh, they decided to take a chance on me, uh, and and then you know things things changed you know very abruptly, and I did go out with a bang the, the night before I had to surrender my passport and and walk up the gangway of this 522 foot hospital ship. Uh, I, I think I'd smoked like three packs of cigarettes oh. and uh, <laughs> oh, definitely geez. had like seven or eight beers and woke up with a hangover. And, uh, but that was it. You know, there was something wow. prophetic or, or symbolic about yeah. you know, walking up the gangway of a ship and sailing away mm. from my old life into wow. right. a new life and a new continent. Mm. And that took me to Liberia. And, and for the sake of time, you know, I, I saw a lot a year turned into two years, and mm. that's where I discovered the water crisis. And I saw people drinking dirty water for the first time mm. uh, in my life. I had been selling water for $10 a bottle in the clubs. Mm. So that was just something unbelievable Man. to me that 50% of the country I was living in was drinking dirty water and 50% of the disease 
uh, came from dirty water and a lack of sanitation and, and hygiene. So uh, yeah. I kind of found the issue by way of a two-year experience in Liberia, West Africa, and through the eyes of medical professionals. And you know, one, one of them, the, the chief medical officer just said, if you really cared about global health, don't do what I do. Just go get everybody clean water. Now, that's the number mm -hmm. one cause of disease in the world mm -hmm. is bad water. So he kind of charged me with that. And then I came back to New York City at 30, you know, with a very different looking life uh, and then started, started Charity Water. So, so every, I feel amazing. like every part of this is fascinating. I mean, I, I don't think you spoke for 10 seconds without something that I could ask a million questions about. But, yeah. you know, I think, in, you know, returning back to your childhood for a second, I, I, my, you know, first I think about your mom, but also being a man, I just think about your dad, like just that marriage, like how, how did they navigate that? Like, how did, how did you do that? Yeah. I mean, they didn't sleep in the same room for 10 years. Um, yeah. so he, he was an amazing caregiver and he mm. was loyal. He was faithful. You just, you know, you hear about these unbelievable caregiver types who, mm. you know, have, a you know, maybe their partner is a paraplegic or unable to speak or, um, and they, they, they give their whole lives, uh, to mm. them and just continue to make sacrifices. So he, he was that guy, um, an mm. amazing, you know, kind of checked out of social life to, to, to take care of her. Jeez. Yeah. I remember I, I read your book. This has been a couple of years ago now, but didn't, didn't you guys like rebuild the HVAC system or something like that. I felt like for a, a chapter there, there was just all these DIY projects that your dad yeah. was just dedicating yeah, well, he his was life trying to. to. Good memory. I mean, he was trying to purify the house. So yeah. he, he ripped out the HVAC, you know, which had the, or it wasn't the HVAC, whatever had the leak. Um, uh -huh. It was a, actually a heat exchanger. And then he had to rip out every piece of carpeting in the house because the formaldehyde made her sick. And then he would have to wash down all the walls with special detergents. And he would have to change, uh, you know, sofa cushions and wrap things in plastic. And, oh, it was just, it was an amazing process. But he kept looking to find a cure for her. So he would go doctor mm -hmm. to doctor to doctor. Mm -hmm. And he could just never find uh, anyone that could, you know, that could cure her. And every doctor would say, she's allergic to all these things forever. And, you know, you just need to keep her away from them. You know, it's avoid exposure to the world, basically. What, what did that make you feel like as a kid? Sort yeah. of like, not yeah. that you would consciously think this necessarily, but it's like, here you are as a kid in the world, as most all kids, just living a normal life. And then you're seeing your mom basically being killed by every, seemingly every element in the world. And that must have given you this like weird kind of like Superman kind of feeling, right? Like a well, survivor's guilt kind of a thing? No, no, I was the protector of the purity. Mm. So I would make sure no scents got in. You know, I would sniff yeah. around if a visitor came and I would give them special clothes and I would make sure they were standing you know, 15 feet away from mom outside in the yard to have a conversation. So I was really her mm -hmm. protector. Um, and because mm -hmm. I, I think he gave me a sense of independence and, you know, being depended upon um, because I was a, I did a lot of caregiver things. I was doing right. cooking mm -hmm. and cleaning and, and helping to take care of the house at a young age. So I had all this responsibility. I was needed. And, and I yeah. think, 
you know, my parents uh, believed that that I could do anything. You know, there was a sense of hmm. entrepreneurialism, you know, even early on, whether I was, you know, borrowing money to buy a leaf blower so that I could, you know, blow leaves and make 20 bucks um, from, hmm. from the neighbors. Um, so I, you know, I, I don't remember childhood being, you know, I, I, I wanted my mom to be like the other moms and to be there at soccer games and baseball games, hmm. which she wasn't. But, you know, I don't look back on it uh, maybe with a sense of trauma that that yeah. other people maybe would expect. You know, it was hmm. just that was my experience and everybody just did the best with a with a bad hand. So so what was it like inside the house? I mean, could you could you be close to her? I mean, could you and your father be in proximity or could you touch her? Was there any sense of affection that you could give? If or? I wore special clothes, so I would have to you know, there was a sense of let let's say you know, I was in Nashville and I came to the studio and I did this with you guys live. Uh, and then I went home, you know, I would take all these clothes off in the garage. I would put them on a clothes tree and then I would wear hospital scrubs inside the house or special clothes that had been washed, you know, in baking soda and, and a special soap that, that takes things out. So then I could be in the house and move and move freely. But, you know, weird stuff made her sick, like the TV made her sick and radios made her sick and telephones, like electromagnetic radiation she was really oh sensitive gosh. to. So there were all of these things you couldn't do uh, around mom. Could you, mm -hmm. could you, I mean, could you touch her and hug her and things if you were in clean clothes? I don't remember a lot of touch as a kid. Wow. You know, now that, now that yeah. you say that, um, there wasn't a lot of, um, yeah, there wasn't a lot of that. Jeez, that is crazy. That is crazy. Do you think that you felt an, a special kind of like bond I feel like I'm on the dad? chair, boys. This is, you know, <laughs> I, we're just, I'm just my feet so up. fascinated by this. I mean, I would imagine that like this is the ultimate. Are you going to send me a bill for this? <laughs> You'll just, I'm gonna get we send all our guest bills. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you have like a certain kind of like special bond with your dad? I mean, this is like the ultimate, like, you know, some sons have like baseball with their dads. This is like we are on team save mom, you know? That's a great question. I think I had a complicated relationship with my dad. Um, mm. You know, he was strict and he needed to be with me um, because I was a little bit of a loose cannon and look what mm. happened later. Um, <laughs> but I was always kicking against the rules or curfews. Yeah, I was getting in trouble a lot and I would be grounded yeah. a lot. Um, I, I had a mouth on me. You know, I was sassy. Um, so... You know, there were there were great moments. I mean, he he did his best to make sure I got the opportunity to go to sports and he would find other people to drive me when he had to be at work. So he, he tried to really give me the most normal childhood, you know, as possible, I think, with with these circumstances. But, you know, there was probably a sense of resentment towards both parents that I had, you know, because my life just wasn't normal. And and then, you know, the rules on top of that made it seem, you know, here, here in a way, like I felt like I probably grew up so fast, but then, so I didn't want to have any rules. I wanted mm -hmm. to be the master of, of my own destiny. Yeah. Yeah. Which sets up the second act for you to get out. I mean, it, it, you grid that out. And I think it doesn't surprise, I would imagine most people to know that you were like, I got to get out of here and spread my wings. I mean, that, that makes sense to me, you know, that you would sort of get out and go, man, this is my chance to finally live a little bit after being, I mean, literally just under so much, you know, careful sort of protection and, um, you know, isolation and all those things. So some of that makes perfect sense that you would get to New York 
and just kind of go like, here we go. Well, <laughs> like, I'm putting myself in your dad's yeah. shoes. It's like, if I were him, I could imagine you're seeing, you know, your wife, love of your life, go through all this that you can't control. And I, I feel like I would just be desperately trying to control anything that I can control. And then there's Scott. And I'm like, you're my kid. <laughs> little eight. Yeah. You're a little bunch eight. of little, just shooting you know. off. <laughs> so yeah, it may, that makes sense to me. And, and it also makes sense that, that you would have the next phase of your life that you had, you know? Yeah. And, and they were, they were horrified at the next phase of my life. And I was going to ask how that, yeah. how that was. With you know, they were praying season. the prodigal home for, for 10 years and, and we did stay in relationship, but that was really difficult for them to see me yeah. just going in the opposite direction. And, you know, again, my, my parents' faith is the most important thing to them. So to know that mm-hmm. I had abandoned that and, you know, abandoned the, just the simple kind of moral, uh, agreements, uh, that, that most people have, I think was, was really difficult for them. So they were, they were very, very happy when I came back and I've, my, my mom passed away a couple of years ago from pancreatic cancer. Mm. Um, mm. but was, was able to see the first 12 years of charity water and actually got mm. a little better towards the end of her life. She was able oh, wow. to come out with a mask and volunteer at some events. Oh, that's amazing. Um, oh, that's and kind of, you know, watch the organization grow and, yeah. um, you know, my, my dad, uh, I, I still, you know, talk to every couple of days and, and see, uh, see a lot as well. So he's in my kids' lives. That's great. And, and where, where, where are they, where they live? My dad's Where's still in Jersey now? in the same house that, 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 that they've been in now for 30, 35 years. Wow. 32 wow. years. And is his life radically different because now he's not having to do the same kind of yeah. Keeper. And it's been, it's been challenging because I think his, so much of his identity was caregiver. Right. And now that yeah. person is gone. Yeah. Um, and my dad's 80 and um, is, is, is struggling with, you know, he, he beat a couple kinds of cancers and, wow. you know, but he just is always complaining about some sort of new ailment and <laughs> ah, the body's breaking down, you know, <laughs> can't do this. I gotta pee three times a night, you know? Um, right. So he's, uh, you know, he's, he's, uh, but you know, he's, he's, he's honestly healthy. I mean, I think he could live to be a hundred. So that is crazy. So, like I said, I've read your book a couple years ago and I, and I actually read it because I had listened to an interview, I think on the liturgist podcast, um, okay. randomly, I was just, I just discovered that podcast. I listened to an interview with you and it blew my mind. So there are so many things I mean, there's so much about the Charity Water story that I I just want people to know. I mean, everyone should go out and, and read your book, Thirst. But I mean, there were so many things that, that about the, the, you know, the water situation in the world that I never would have thought of, that I'd love for you to just kind of, you know, educate people about, like the, the, the woman, I think it was, what was her name? Helen in uh, Uganda, is that her name? Who said, I Helen, feel yeah. beautiful. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's funny. Our team was just in her village last week, um, 12 years later. And uh, uh-huh. that's she's going to be a big part of Charity Water's kind of 15th anniversary story telling uh, in, in a couple months. But this her story kind of so opened right? my mind up to so many sort of like, not to be punny, but downstream effects of not mm-hmm. having clean water. Can you just mm-hmm. kind of talk a little bit about her story and others like it? Yeah, well, so she, uh, Helen is this amazing woman in Uganda. 
who didn't have clean water and Charity Water, you know, she was one of the 75,000 villages that we were able to bring clean water into. And this was about 12 years ago. And the solution was a well. So she was <laughs> actually living on top of a clean water aquifer. Um, so people were mm. unnecessarily traveling and unnecessarily drinking yeah, how dirty far, water. How far is she walking a day? You know, she'd be walking water. six hours a day. Um, Gosh. You know, seven days a week, right? So call it 40, 42 hours every week to get water. And she so would a more, job. more she than would a full time trips. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. When, when you add the weekends in, it really is. Because uh, if you don't walk for water on Saturday and Sunday, you don't drink water. You don't cook. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So she would walk with, uh, she would walk for two jerry cans. Some people might have seen those yellow kind of fuel cans. I mean, you would go down to a tractor supply or, you know, whatever, Home Depot, and, and that's what people store fuel in for their lawnmowers. Um, this is how she carried her water, uh, which is very common in, in Africa and other parts of the world. And um, she would bring 10 gallons every day. So two trips, five gallons and five gallons. And we asked her now that she had clean water in her village, now that she no longer needed to walk or waste those 42 hours, how her life was different. Mm. And she said, now I am beautiful. And we're like, what do you mean? Of course, Helen, you're a beautiful Ugandan woman. And she said, well, let me explain. She said, before, because there was never enough water, I would always have to make these um, sacrifices these tough decisions every day. What do I mm. use not enough water for? Do I cook? Do I clean the house? Do I garden? Do I wash my kids' school uniforms? Do I wash my kids' faces and bodies? Do I let my husband use the water? Uh, or do I use the water? And she said, you know, Ugandan women, we always put our families first. So she said, I just, I didn't use the water for myself. I would always put my kids and, and family first. So uh, basically she was dirty and her clothes were dirty. And she said, now that I have all the water that I want, now I'm beautiful. And she said, mm. my body's clean, my, my clothes are clean. She said, look at me, I'm looking so smart. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I think that, that story just, uh, look, I mean, I've been to 70 countries now and I, I've been you know, all over the world. I've met so many people both trapped in the water crisis and so many people we've, we've helped. But I don't think we'd ever quite thought of the power of clean water to restore dignity to a woman, right, uh, right. To, to make someone feel clean, to yeah. feel beautiful. Um, you know, we typically think of water in terms of health. You know, you wouldn't want to drink from a swamp because you'd get sick and you could get parasites and worms or dysentery and die. Um, but not as much in, in terms of, of just the dignity of, of having clean water. And, and again, you know, as we record this, 10% of the world is not experiencing what we are experiencing. You know, I've got water right in front of me. I brushed my teeth this morning, took a shower. 10% of the world right now uh, is, is, has never experienced clean water. Hmm. And, you know, that's what we're trying to change. We think you know, it's crazy. I mean, we live in a, an era where, you know, we can get, uh, we can order something online and it comes to our door in 30 minutes and, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to space and, you know, we're, we've got self-driving cars and, you know, you, you, you pick the thing and people don't have freaking clean water on the planet, like right. 10% yeah. of the planet, 770 yeah. right. million people. I mean, that's twice yeah. the population of America. Hmm. Two total Americas full of people around the world 
don't have the most basic need met. So, you know, that's what Charity Water is on a, on a mission to, to end. And, and thanks to this, you know, really generous community of, of you know, well over a million people around the world, we, we think we got a shot at it. You know, this is, again, this is jumping ahead because I just have so many questions. But w- what, what would you say is the number one, like, challenge that you face Getting charity care. Water. Getting people to care. Is that just um, awareness? Because it seems like anyone who would be exposed to, to your story and the things, you know, if you relay some of these things that are truths in our, our world, people want to help, I would imagine, right? Yeah, it's getting the story in front of them. You know, we made a, yeah. a video at Charity Water. Uh, we, we launched a monthly membership community called The Spring uh, at our 10-year mark. And, you know, the, the idea there was, could we get people to care about clean water in the same way they care about Spotify or Netflix or Amazon Prime? You know, in, in other words, showing up monthly to, to give a little bit of money, but accept, you know, they wouldn't get movies or music or storage or, or free shipping. Uh, they would create clean water for people. So, you know, we, we, we made this video and, and it was 19 minutes long, so effectively a short film. And everybody said, oh, that's crazy. Nobody's going to watch a 19-minute movie on the internet. And, you know, they, they turned out to be wrong. And, the, you know, the film's now gotten, you know, 80 or 90 million views uh, across platforms and really helped us build that membership community to now 147 different countries. Uh, we, we've got people. So I think, you know, those 8% of the people that see the film join the spring. So it's really about getting people to learn about this problem, understand why Charity Water is unique um, and, and what we're doing about it in a transparent and sustainable and, and efficient way. Uh, we, for 15 years, we've used 100% of all public donations to directly fund the water projects. Um, mm-hmm. All of our overhead is raised in a separately audited bank account from about 120 people. So 120 people pay, you know, the staff salaries, the flights, the copy machine toner, uh, the office rent, you know, all of that, those unsexy overhead costs so that anybody, you know, who would hear this or respond or, you know, anybody around the world, 100% of every dollar, pound, euro, kroner goes straight to, to clean water. So that, you know, when people learn about the problem, when they learn about, you know, how we're different, uh, many people respond, but you know yeah. we don't have the marketing budgets of a of a Coke or a Pepsi or a Disney Plus, you know who right. can spend billions of dollars to to get people to join their their service. You know this is this has got to be built through through word of mouth. Hey Dave. Hey Johnny. You know there are so many obstacles to getting the mental health help that we all need. Yeah. Whether it's the fear of judgment or the hassle of getting to an appointment, mm-hmm. you know, it can be so hard to get a licensed therapist. Yeah, that's true. Not to mention, it's scary to ask for help from yeah. a total stranger. But that doesn't change how important it is to put your mental health first. That's why I use Talkspace. With Talkspace, you can talk with a licensed therapist right from your phone, tablet, or computer. You can even message your therapist anytime, 24-7, that you need to get something off your chest. Chatting with a therapist is essential to your overall well-being. Just like eating healthy or going to the gym, talk therapy is proven to make you healthier and happier. 
And now Talkspace is making it easier and more secure than ever to get help you need. Yeah, Talkspace is 100% secure and stigma-free, just the way that therapy should be. Privacy and security are number one at Talkspace. When using the app and talking to a licensed therapist, you have your very own private room. Talkspace's extra security features and encryption ensure that your conversation has the utmost privacy and security. Many, many people out there struggle with anxiety and depression, and Talkspace can give you the tools that you need to move forward in life. Seeking professional help isn't weird or weak, and especially is nothing to be ashamed about. And now that you can talk to a therapist from the comfort of your own home with Talkspace, it's even easier to get the help you need. Join Talkspace today and start moving forward with a single message. Just visit Talkspace.com and get $100 off your first month when you use the promo code DADVILLE at sign up. That's $100 off Talkspace.com with promo code DADVILLE. It's such an interesting dilemma, too, because John and I have both been um to africa on different trips um i worked a lot with something called the mocha club i don't know if you ever got to know that spirit ward but um we went three different times we built wells and it was really it was really crazy how much i remember um going each time and the feeling of getting home and just being like i have to tell people about this one of the ways we would spread the word is during our shows like in the middle of you know this concert in some club somewhere we would stop to talk about it. And I'll never forget, like, I just got so riled up about it that at one point, literally, I think Barrett, who ran the thing, was at a show, and he's like, man, look, great show, loved it. Maybe 15 minutes in the middle of the show talking about water is a little too long, you know, and I would get, like, emotional. Like, it was, because it, yeah. it it, it's such a weird thing that when you can see it with your own eyes, there sure. is this feeling of, like, I have to come back. And so I can't imagine how hard, and I remember in that season, when I was playing so much and talking about it so much, how hard it was to try to tell people what sure. you had seen. And sure. so there's gotta be this struggle you've always felt of coming back from something like that and going, how in the, that would be this, that would be one of the hardest things that I could imagine is how do I translate this passion from what I've seen and touched and felt and heard and sat with to people who mean well, but there's just no way to experience that. You know, that, that would be something that would be consistently hard for me. And I think probably lonely for me would to be, you know, going, I know these people mean well, but until they see it, you know, and even bringing friends over, it's tricky because they can tell you and it's compelling and their story's amazing and they can help, uh, help you understand, but you're not standing there. I'll never forget. We saw a well we built in, um, gosh, where was that in, uh, Uganda or maybe in Kenya, but, um, and, and I mean, just watching these kids pumping this water, I was like, this is one of the, I've never felt like this. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's amazing. It's like, I've gotten to see that game. hundreds and hundreds of times. Yes. And it's, and it's it seems so simple hard. in a way, you know, that those, yeah. that there yeah. really was clean drinking water underneath that underneath, village. And yeah. what people didn't have was access to a million dollar drilling rig. Um, which, you know, you and I don't have access to necessarily either. Yeah. Um, or the, the 10 or $12,000 that it cost to to release that water and and yeah. build a, a long-term sustainable project so yeah it, it's it's a it's a weird i can't imagine that feeling running a company that does that to john's point like the struggles but i would imagine for me that would be one that would be really hard is like if i could just get all these people on a plane to go see this problem solved because they're going to be compelled to do something right you're standing on the stage trying to sort of communicate yep. this in a way that's compelling 
also against every other nonprofit in the world that's doing other important work, you know. Yeah, that's, and that's, that's why I wanted to write the book. And in the book, there, you know, it's story after story after story because that's how people respond and connect with issues is not through mind-numbing statistics like 10% of the world or 771 million people, but, you know, through through a woman like Helen, you know, who could tell her story yeah. and her share her experience. So, you know, there, there's lots and lots of stories like that in the book. And, you know, we've made now over 1,500 videos at Charity Water Jeez, just Louise. telling story after story after story. Um, and that's that's kind of our language of, of communicating. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, so, so, so it being dad, Bill, we want, we want to hear about you and being a dad and your kids. Um, what the, the thing that I'm so fascinated. So you have, is it five and seven year olds? Is that what uh, you, five and seven, just turned five, just turned seven. And my daughter, uh, and I share a birthday. Oh, no hmm. way. Jeez. Well done, dad. Um, so what, what is it like? I'm always fascinated by this who, for people who live in the sort of like, uh, benevolent space or, you know, the charity space, how does that look like with you and your kids? Like, how do you think about that with them? What do you expose them to when, how do you, you know, how do you talk about those things? You know, how do you think about that with these two kids? You know, it's interesting with, with, uh, the coronavirus. I mean, I, one of the great opportunities is I can take them to the 29 countries where we work. Yeah. Um, and I've got a lot of miles, <laughs> yeah. so, <laughs> yeah. you know, flying with dad is, is, is a perk. And then COVID just completely arrested that. Yeah. Uh, so my plan was to have them, them in the field and, and that's been mm. you know, delayed. So that'll happen soon, probably next March. Uh, I think my, my son will come with me to, to Uganda on a mm. trip and, you know, uh, they've been with me a lot on the road speaking. So, you know, my mm. son's been, he, he's, he's seen me on stage in a bunch of different environments and a bunch of different conferences. So that's been, that's been cool. Um, but I think until they see it in person, you know, it's, it's just, it's different to, to watch a video. Right. Um, right. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking more about the values and, you know, what kinds of people do I want my kids to be? Hmm. You know, we have, we have two family mottos at the moment. One is you go first um, wow. because they are always trying to go first. And just, you know, how can I help? How can I be helpful? Uh, hmm. And, and I, I don't need them to be humanitarians. I just need them hmm. to have high integrity and to be generous, kind, uh, loving, compassionate people. Hmm. And if, if they you know, somehow love this line of work. I mean, my son has asked multiple times, you know, how old he has to be to work at Charity Water with Daddy. Oh, um, wow. So, you know, if they get the bug for it, that that's great. But if he, you know, becomes an entrepreneur or has a business career, or, um, you know, who, who knows, goes into any profession. Um, I yeah. just, I care about the, the, the character of the kids. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting. You know what I love about that is that it sort of infers your faith in that, uh, and what I mean by that is that it infers that it doesn't, that um, the work to be done doesn't need your kids to do it. That yeah. there are bigger things at play. And I think that's really yeah. important. I mean, you the know, work you know, is so big, you know, and it's and, huge. And they're so young, you know, I, I don't really think about a succession. You know, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to hand the thing off to my kid. Well, he's seven right now. You know, he literally <laughs> walks around with a stick trying to hit everything he can with a stick. So, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to imagine him. He may be the, trying to divine water. Yeah. You don't know. That's good. 
If you've met my son, <laughs> divining rods. hard to imagine him as the future CEO of Charity <laughs> We all start somewhere. Yeah. It's like just grabbing things from his sister. And I'm like, when, oh, yeah. when, you know, when have your mother and I ever modeled grabbing? In, in your seven years of life on this planet, have you once seen me snatch something from your mother's hands? But have you once thinking. seen me do... He's like, why right? doesn't dad just uh, grab things more? My gosh. So efficient. Yeah, so we're in it right now. We have two really um, uh, non-docile children uh, who <laughs> not just have docile. Not, not docile at all. What is What has surprised you the most about being a dad? Um, well, I'm an old dad, which I, I really appreciate. You know, I feel mm. like um, I'm a big... Um, uh, Ronald Rollheiser fan. So I read this book, mm. Sacred Fire, every year. And, you know, mm. it talks about the first half of life and second half of life. Yeah. So I really felt like I, you know, started having kids right as I was coming into the second half of life. So I know who I am. You know, the, mm. the identity stuff was kind of worked out uh, mm. over the last 15 years. So it's really about how I can give, how I can mentor and, you know, I'm not striving anymore. I mean, there's no fear of missing out. You know, there's no... Yeah, uh, that's well said. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the more things I can say no to, the more time I can spend at home with, with my kids. So I think I've, I've, I've been surprised at... Maybe not surprised at how much I've enjoyed it. I mean, it's hard. It, it's, it's, it's really hard. Um, I'm surprised at how difficult it is to teach them basic things. <laughs> like don't freaking snatch things you know i'm just surprised at how rotten they are like they're little scoundrels i had a we had a babysitter the other night um we went out on a sunday and we came back and she said you know they're just rascally <laughs> i said how is how is putting them down they're so hard to put down they're just rascally <laughs> so rascally. I don't want them to be rascally. It comes with an eye patch, doesn't it? If anybody's rascally, don't you just have an right? eye patch? Right. Or, know. So, you know, like but I've I've, I've loved I love being a dad, and you know, my son did twenty flights his first year of life, and you know, Jeez. we we were taking him places, and um, I want him to be you know open to experiences, excited about travel. Um, mm. You know, they loved the farm, looking for salamanders, mm -hmm. shooting BB guns. You know, mm, going so for great. long walks, canoeing, kayaking. You know, I just took him to Cub, Cub Scouts the other night in Franklin. And, you know, literally everything that they're going to learn in the next three years. He's like, yeah, I did that. Yeah, I've done right. that. I've been deer hunting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'm like, that is okay, we didn't come down from like the Northeast to like show off. Okay. Right. <laughs> He's like, I lived on a farm. Yep. Seen bobcats. Yep. Seen bears. <laughs> God, I have my crazy. own bear spray. <laughs> Oh my gosh, is, that is amazing. Is there anything that, uh, like if you could take both your kids back to an experience that you had in your childhood, is there any moment that, that uh, pops out to you that you would want to take them back to to see what you went through? I'd probably want them to be a little older. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, and then it would be gosh, any, any number of just <laughs> weird moments, <laughs> weird caregiving moments mm -hmm. of, of what our life was like. And I think that would just say, you know, you guys have it really good. <laughs> you have it right. really good. 
Um, I mean, I wasn't, you know, my mom was allergic to the TV. So there was like, you know, there was this little TV and it was in a far part of the house. And, you know, I think I would get like an hour a week or something. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. I'd sit in this cold room. I, I just, it, my life, my childhood was so radically different than theirs. Mm. Um but then in a way, you know, I'm not sure what I would really say. You know, what am I trying to get them to say? Feel bad for me? Um, mm, feel, right. you know, feel, feel lucky? Mm, um, right. Yeah, there's, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure I would actually do it. You know, mm. one of the things that I, th- I think about um, with raising my kids, and it's not that my kids are growing up drastically different than I grew up necessarily, but there are ways that, things are different, you know, and I, and I'm always super concerned with my kids being spoiled and having too much. I feel like Mm -hmm. they have way more than I had when I was growing up, all that kind of stuff. And I think at the foundation of it, it's like, I, you know, if you, if you like the person that you are and you feel like you're a well-adjusted adult, you know, that, which I feel like I am, it's like, I, I got here because of my upbringing. And I think there's a part of me as a parent that is like, Oh no, if my kid's upbringing is too different than my upbringing, then I don't, that makes me feel uncomfortable. You know, like I, I worry about them just going off the rails because this is the only model that I know. You know what I mean? Is there any of that going on in your head as their upbringing is obviously so different than yours? I don't want them to be spoiled. Right. Um, and I do think about that. And, you know, I mean, my kids are, are very middle class, um, but so was I. So mm-hmm. I think about more of the experiences that I have that were good for me that I want to share with them. I want them to be hard workers. I want them to uh, earn money by doing hard work. I want them to be helpful. Uh, I want them to have agency. And, yeah. and, you know, one of the things my daughter's been saying is like, I can't do it. I'm like, yes, you can do it. Um, you mm-hmm. can buckle your own seatbelt, you know, in the truck. <laughs> you can step up without anybody needing, you know, without anybody helping you. And then she does it, and then she'll have this kind of aha moment. Oh, wow, I did that. Yeah. So I think it's, you know, uh, the independence, the, this, the, the courage um, that, that my experience taught me. I'd love to pass some of those things on to the kids, but I'm, I'm not trying to mirror experiences you know, their experience is yeah. their own. And it's, it's going to be yeah. very different living in an international family. I didn't go anywhere. You know, my kids have been to, you know, London and, you know, I don't know, like we just flew to California for a few days. I mean, they're just so used to, and they know Delta lounges in different places. Mm-hmm. You know, just such a radically different experience of seeing and experiencing uh, and maybe tasting the world and culture than I ever had. I had a very small um, mm-hmm. world growing up. Right. It was... Yeah. Me, the house, and keeping mom safe, and you know, school and and baseball and soccer games. You know, it was in a very small, mm. small radius. Yeah, right. So, so, so we have a couple of questions we end with, but I want to do one more before those. When you, if you could go back and talk to Scott, you know, let's say three years into Act Two, you know, you've been in Manhattan three years. <laughs> you know, it's all not bad, not there. bad. I like it. Thank it's you. A little thank Paul you. Oakenfeld um, there. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going for. Um, you know, what What do you, knowing, like, if you could time travel as you right now to, you know, 20 years ago, whenever that was, what would you tell him? Man, nothing would have worked. 
<laughs> I mean, I just, I, you know, I, I get asked that question sometimes, and I just don't think anything anybody would have told me until yeah. I ran yeah, yeah. to the end of right. my own experience would yeah. have, uh, not a single piece of wise advice would have shaken me off of that course until that course was finished. Yeah. Right. And right. I had to kind of reach the end. I mean, you know, what would you have said to the prodigal son, you know, who was heading away from the house with his parents, yeah. you know, fortune, you know, hey, yeah. give the money back to dad, go yeah, home, right. you're making a mistake. It's like, no, yeah. no, that story ends yeah. when he spent all the money and he's in the pig yeah. pen and realizes yeah. I'm broke. I'm eating disgusting, you know, like pig slop and I want to go back home. I miss home. I don't think anywhere on that journey, you know, halfway, he'd spend half the money. You know, let's say he was gambling. Well, he's going to make it back, right? Right, right, right. right. Um, <laughs> he, he wasn't finished. So I really think, you know, some people really need to finish. Now, you know, if we can get them to finish that sooner or see, we get to that end. Yeah. Um, I mean, it took me a long time. I mean, 10 years is a long time. But again, those experiences, many of those experiences have later been useful and valuable right. and, and some of those things that I learned I was able to redeem and, and use for good. Hmm. And I'm kind of jealous that. of the fact that like you, I mean, both stories in the, the story of the rich man in the Bible and the prodigal son, it's like you have lived those two things. You have gone in your life, these two complete extremes and like really, you know, did them well. You weren't just drinking, you were getting paid by Bacardi monthly to drink Bacardi. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. And then, yeah. and then, you know, years later, you are selling everything that you own to go and give your life to this charity. I mean, that's a, that's a, those are two full extremes. Yeah, and a I, gift you know, to there, kind there's of extreme people. So, and I'm, I'm one of them. <laughs> but it's like, such a. I oh think it's a, like you said, useful. I, I as I'm, you know, was reading about you, I'm like, I, I bet this is a gift to have experienced that. And to know, you know, like, no, I've been down that road. There, there's no, like you're saying in the second half of your life, you're not, you're not worried about missing out. You know, like you, you That's went true. down That's that road, true. you there's, came back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's, and I'm not like, I don't miss the clubs or the, none of that. He's scanning the crowd. He's like, God, where is that guy? Where's my Bacardi? Um, so the last, uh, two questions, I'll read the first one to you. Um, what is the one thing that you want your kids to know? Um, that what the, the way they do things is who they are, character, integrity, mm. way more um, important than the actual things they wind up doing or, or the results. You know, mm. in, integrity is everything, I think. Mm. Yeah. Allows you to sleep at night. Uh, you're, you're integrated. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, that's my number one value and kind of the value for our family. Wow. I love that. All right. So it's your funeral. You have gone. <laughs> your kids step up to the mic. What do you want them to say? Oh, uh, um, you know, I heard, I'm going to answer it a little differently. I heard about, I have a friend who's, he got married and he asked his father to be best man. 
And I told that to my wife and she's like, that was his only option. Like you didn't have any friends. I'm like, no, you don't understand. That's so great. Like he wanted his dad to be the best man at his, at his, uh, at his wedding. So I think more about weddings than funerals. Um, and, and that, you know, I would develop, you know, not a friendship with the kid, not just a friendship with the kids, but that it would turn into that, you know, at a later stage in life where, um, we're just in such a uh, relationship and we have fun together and I could be a coach and a mentor. Um, and so, uh, I, I guess, you know, I don't know, like I love my dad and he loved others and he was, a, you know, he loved God. He loved mom. He loved my sister and I, uh, and you know, he was a good friend and, and he crushed it at work. He helps a lot of people get water. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's so All good. True. Hey, what what are the places where people should go to uh yeah. to help out? Like go check out the spring.com. There's that video I mentioned. People can watch it, they could share it. You know, that's one way of just helping um, you know, if you uh, if you're willing to join that community, that that's a great way to help. Um, or you can go to charitywater.org slash spring as well. Um, and uh, yeah, we're just, uh, you don't need to follow me on social media, but we're at Charity Water, which is, which is more interesting. I don't post much. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> <laughs> on purpose. Yeah, uh, thank you thank so you much. Once a month, my team is like, can you yeah. please post something? <laughs> <laughs> People don't think you're alive anymore. Um, yeah, thank you for being with us, guys. Yeah. We appreciate it, man. And thank Thanks you for, for the work me, that you do. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. <laughs>